This week on The Real Guy Podcast, Norm questions his manhood. He quits drinking, loses a fish of a lifetime, the Lunker Dog and Norm do a bit of shop talk, how to size up your clients, and Mark the Shark, all this week on The Real Guy Podcast. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. So you're all proud of yourself? You got a new phone? Well, yes and no. Um, I was fortunate enough, you know how a lot of people, when they get new phones, uh, they lose all their data and their contacts and their apps and everything, and they kind of have to start from scratch. Well, I was very lucky, and I didn't have to do that. However, um, the new phone works in ways that the other one didn't, so it's like just trying to get used to that feel like you're fumbling around a little bit mm-hmm. yeah just a little bit well norm congratulations on the new phone well i uh I, I i feel like i've been dragged into the next century so new phone and you gave up drinking i did so t- I did. let's talk about the giving up the drinking thing <laughs> i uh i've been wrestling with the idea for about the past well really six or eight months when uh and invariably i think most people kind of get to this point in their life where they things that they once enjoyed uh greatly in their youth um no longer really have the same effect when you get older and it's harder and you know it's 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 as if uh hank williams jr is talking to me and the hangovers hurt more than they used to (laughs) so it's just it's just one of those just one of those things where just really upside upside isn't there anymore downside is there there's more downside than there is upside and there's very little upside to it anymore and uh you know it's just uh well just want you i'm I'm not really losing anything by doing it well, I want you to know that I support you. I appreciate that. I, I support you. I. Um, it's not a struggle for me. I mean, it's just it's, it's not just like one of those al- things. It's not like you're an, an, an alcoholic or no, an addict where no. you're trying to kick it. No. This is just a, a new way of thinking. Right, right. Just kind of a new way of thinking. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have to just roll with the punches and, you know, keep it real. <laughs> no, dude, I feel you. I, I went... Uh, I went seven years cold turkey. Did you? I quit drinking in one yeah, day. Yeah. I was drinking a lot for probably a decade right after I get rid of my bar. Mm-hmm. I was working for the first time in my life in the corporate world, but I was still drinking a fifth of scotch a day. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, am I an alky? Like, am I an alky? So I says, I'm going to quit. And I quit for seven years straight. Right. Cold yeah. turkey. And, you know, when I say I quit... You know, that doesn't mean I'm never going to have another, you know, drop of alcohol. You know, maybe if for some reason, you know, a, a, a great event happens, you know, my son graduates high school, you know, something like that. You know, I might you know, have a you're, glass of wine or. You're not you know, saying you're never going to have a drink again. No, I'm just saying. But you're just going to quit as drinking. General as a general social dictate in my hobby. life, it's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> well, good. All right. <clears throat> you know. And I support you. Yeah, thanks. And that's. Yeah, you know, that's the relationship you and I have. Yeah. And you know what? You know what did it for me? It's healthy. I'll tell you where I kind of got to that breaking point was on Monday. I told you about that trip I had, right? Yes. Okay. And 
when I got done. Well, may as well talk about the trip. Yeah, refresh. All right. Okay. All right. So Norm, Norm has had an emotional week. It's been very emotional. And he had a fish of a lifetime come yeah. up on his short kite bait this yeah. week. I'm going to let Norm take it from here. Well, I I got a booking Sunday afternoon for Monday. And uh, uh, so three guys from Kentucky. And hillbillies are rednecks. These, oh no, if you're from Kentucky, these are hillbillies. Hillbillies, okay. These are absolute hillbillies, okay? <laughs> these are bass fishing hillbillies. All right, all right. Okay? Nice guys, all of them. Okay, super nice guys. At any rate, uh, they get on the boat and we go out there and, and I pop the kite in like 300. We had a straight east wind. And, uh, and I like to fish both sides of the boat and flats on one side and the kite on the other and really put a big, you know, footprint of baits out there so uh uh not even 10 minutes into the first drift about a 100 pound yellowfin tuna skies on my short kite bait i mean and i mean he had it locked up and uh what do you mean when you mean skies he did the old one sky no he i mean he's rocketed out of the water about eight feet up and I keep my kites pretty close to the boat. Uh, he ate it on the way up and or on the way down? he ate it on the way up. Okay. Okay, he ate it on the way up. And, I mean, he just, it was it was one of the most impressive bites I have ever seen in all of my fishing career. We get the fish on. Mind you, he's on 20-pound. Uh, accurate Boss Fury. Brand new reel. Out of the box. Brand new line. Everything's new. And uh, it's the first fish I even hooked with that uh, with that outfit. We get the fish on, and he's been pretty docile. He dumps us down to about a half spool, which is about 300 yards on those on those accurates. But he's staying up top. Hand the rod off to the uh, the customer, clear the other lines, and we're tracking after the fish. And the fish is straight up on top. He's staying up on top and going straight south instead of doing what they normally do, which is go down and go offshore. So, uh, but this fish was being pretty docile and I'm thinking to myself, you know, we got a real good shot at this fish early because he's staying up on top. And if I could just sneak up on him uh, and get him close enough, we might get a shot at him. So, the fish takes off on a run, and for whatever the reason, the angler throws the reel into free spool and backlashes the reel, and we break him off. What, do you think he was just, like, backing down the drag or something? No. Or was it, like, did he bump it? How- no. There, there are some people, and, and mind you, I, I've got video of, of, uh, of this angler on the fish, and, uh, you know, what a lot of people don't know about me is when I... Uh, when I take video, I use it for my own purposes uh, as well as entertainment to show other people. And I look and see what this angler's doing. And I spent a great deal of time later uh, studying how this angler was fighting the fish. So you're, you're analyzing... And he was mo- like, like a football coach would analyze film. That's what I, You took the words out of my mouth. Yep. All right. Okay. And uh, I try to do that at least once on every fish. Uh, that you know a good quality fish and 
I noticed what he was doing was he couldn't get comfortable, this guy. He just, he was very awkward. You know how some people are just awkward with the rod and reel and they're not smooth. Right. Uh, well, that's what this guy's problem was. And I noticed he kept moving his right hand between the reel handle and the underside of the reel to try and get comfortable. And I don't know why he was doing that, but at some point he docked the reel in the crease <laughs> pool and that was the end of it. And, you know, God has a funny way of saying, oh, really? And I, he must have been listening to me last week boasting to somebody, I don't remember who it was, uh, when I was telling, uh, when I was saying that I don't get upset over losing fish anymore. I, I, I distinctly remember this conversation, but I can't remember with whom. You know, after we lost that fish, God was like, oh, really? You're not getting upset over this, are you? And I didn't, I didn't, you know, some people would get really mad and maybe yell at the angler or, you know, just over, generally speaking, express their dissatisfaction with what had happened. And I didn't say anything to this guy because what was I going to tell him this guy from Kentucky who's never seen a big yellowfin tuna, much less got a chance to pull on one, uh, the fish of his lifetime for certain. And he knew what he had done and he knew he was responsible and there was nothing that anybody could do or say and there was just dead quiet on the boat for about 20 minutes. Right. Okay. So, so to sum it up, the customer blew the fish. The customer blew the fish. But the trip wasn't done being a disappointment. <laughs> and on the next set, we hooked a sailfish. I hand the rod off to a different angler on the boat. And this guy is perfect. His form was perfect. He did everything right. We just pulled the hook. Don't know what or why or, you know, Oops. it just it just happened. Okay, that that's that's the breaks of the game. So now I'm starting to question my manhood. And we make a third set, and finally we catch a 30-pound kingfish. It's a decent king. Yeah, it's a really good king. It was a, But in my mind's eye, it was a minor consolation for, you know, having lost that yellowfin tuna. So then what? You went home and... I went home... Looking for a drink? Well, that was just it. I went home, I cleaned up the boat, put the tackle up, and I sat in my chair for about three hours and stared at the wall trying to figure out what had happened and not once did it occur to me to have a drink okay and i'm thinking to myself you know what that's that's got to be it that's 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 got to be a turning point for me because in the past i would have been so upset that i would have had to have been calmed down and i would have wanted a drink so not needed but wanted a drink Okay, so it almost, it almost worked in reverse for you. Sort of. When you realized that you were too upset to have a drink, it's like, I didn't need that damn thing anyway. Yeah. And that was the way you looked at it. Yeah. All right. Kind of. All right. Kind of. And and the other thing, too, about customers blowing fish, you customers don't really blow fish because they don't know what to do. They're not trained. They're not practiced for the most point. So when they lose a fish, they don't exactly blow it. Now, if I did that, I would have blown it like bad. Yeah. And I could put a lot yeah. of pressure on myself, and I wouldn't expect people to get mad at me for it. Well, you know, 
There's a funny thing, and I don't know if I was talking to you about this or somebody I was talking to. Nearly every charter fisherman gets this. Um, the customer comes down, they get on the boat, and they ask the what I call the 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 the, the hundred questions in ten minutes. And they ask, you know, how long have you been doing this? What's the fishing been like? What's, you know, and they ask you every conceivable question and they're always the same questions. Okay. You do know that there's a, there's a a thing out there to coach these people on what to ask the guide or the captain or the charter service. You know, I've seen variations of things like that in the past. So like, you know, like, like it's almost like a travel tip. Yes. Like this is what this is what you do. Yeah. Find out how long he's been in business. That's, right. And then they tell them to ask the questions. Do you think that has something to do with it? Well, or are they instinctive anyway? Usually, usually those are questions that they would ask you when a smart client would ask that question of you when they're booking with you. These guys ask those questions when they're getting on the boat. <laughs> okay. Oh, I see. I feel so. That. You know, and, and that's fine. I expect that it's going to happen every trip. It's it's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, <clears throat> but then again, I turn around and I ask them a few questions so that I can kind of understand what skill level I'm dealing with. Okay. And mind you, you got to take their answers with a grain of salt. Oh, yeah, we've been fishing for 45 years. You know, we've done nine or ten of these trips. And then they get on a fish and they turn the reel upside down. You know, uh, but I asked them, you know, hey, what, where are you from? What kind of fishing do you do? You know, have you ever done this type of fishing? Are you experienced with spinning reel? Have you ever had to level wind a <coughs> level wind a reel before? I mean, you know, they, they just uh, some basics. And if I'm not satisfied with the answers, you know, I might coach them a little bit up before we get on a fish. Okay, guys, here's the here's the drill. This is what we're doing. Here's the style of fishing. Here's what you, here's the the drill when we get them on, um, you know that kind of thing. And I try to do that with most of my anglers because you know what ha- ultimately happens in 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 our world, <clears throat> and you've seen this too, is they get a case of, they get a case of the tunnel vision, and it's like when they get on a fish, they don't know anything. They, they forget everything that they've ever learned. They forget everything that they've ever been taught. Uh, certainly anything that you've probably told them in the last, you know, uh, 45 minutes or so before the before they hooked up. It, it's it, I, I don't like to call it a case of the stupids because that's not really what it is. It's just they get so excited they forget. Th- that I kind of forgot where I was headed with that. But that's, that's really a lot of times that's what happens. Uh, so... You know, one of the things that I do is I, I obsess over my gear. And so when we when we have an event like what we had this week, you know, I think to myself, was there something that I could have done better? Okay, whether it was me as a charter captain or, you know, uh, did I coach him properly? <laughs> um, you know, what led up to this failure? Was it a tackle failure? Uh, and I obsess over tackle like nobody. Um, I'm not one of those guys that, you know, will book, you know, 25, 30 charters in uh, a month and not change out their hooks. Right. Okay. And there's a lot of guys that do that. Yeah. It's a style of fishing. Mitchell Vital, which is always my favorite mate, he obsessed over the tackle. 
the hooks, the lines, how sharp things were. And he, I mean, he was just, and he was the right guy for it. Yeah. But I got a couple of little tricks that I, that I would like to pass on to you mm-hmm. with the clients. Mm-hmm. One of the tricks that I do, it's not really a trick, but it's a, it's a method to find out what we're dealing with, is I'll often leave one of the um, rods and reels on the boat with nothing on it. And I'll wind the line all the way into the spool. Okay? And what I normally do is, is, is you know, before each trip is I put new leaders on and everything. But I'll mm-hmm. leave one empty like that. Mm-hmm. Then when I get the guys on the boat, and most of the time it's two or three on my boat, I'll ask who's going to be the featured angler, meaning who's going to get the first target. Right. <clears throat> Once they tell me who that is, I hand them the reel that has nothing on that. and say, do me a favor. Will you string that up for me? Okay. And I sit back and I watch. Okay. And you can kind of tell how comfortable somebody is with a rod and reel in their hands by simply watching them string up a fishing rod. Wow. So I'll do that and I'll kind of look and I'll say, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. Right. And I kind of get a little, <laughs> right, analyze a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then secondly, um, I wrote it down here. Oh, secondly is... 90% of the people that hook a big fish totally lose their hearing. Yes. Meaning well, that's what I mean by getting a case of the... Right, tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. Call, they, yeah. lo- they lose their hearing. Absolutely. They lose their hearing and their brain doesn't function. No. Because the first thing I tell people when they hook a big tarpon is I say, go to the front of the boat. It's 50-50 whether or not they head to the back or the front. Now, they know. <laughs> I'm not saying the bow or the stern, so yeah, it's yeah, a cap. Yeah, and they, yeah, yeah. As they head to the front of the boat, yeah. and they walk to the back. Yeah. And then I'll calmly say, that's the back of the boat. Mm-hmm. And then they'll look at me like, You're holy shit. Back. Right. <laughs> so their yeah. brains just totally take a fart yeah. on them. Yeah, I, I, no doubt. And that's a, that's a better way of putting it than I did. Uh, <laughs> because it's so much more descriptive of, uh, as to what actually happens. You know, I have had in the last, I hate to say this, and it's caused me to spend some money because it's really bothering me, but um, in the last four charters that I've had, even with, you know, as much coaching as, and, and you know, you and I have the same problem, we don't have mates, so we can't just stand over them the entire time and coach them every single second especially in my case especially because i'm tending to other baits or i'm tending to you know get the a lot know, of shit it's, going it's on it's not there's a lot of stuff going on okay you gotta run the boat and there's a lot of stuff going on okay so um i i've in the last four charters i have had we have lost fish because the angler got that brain fart they brain farted. Okay. On. They brain farted all over the tackle. And I'm just like, what the hell? Okay. And I start thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. Is it the gear? Is it the tackle? Is it. And I think a lot of guys go through this, especially if you're uh, as OCD about tackle as I am. I obsessed over how, how could this have been avoided? And I, I mean, I tell these people, make sure you take your thumb and you, and you spread the spool. Make sure you spread that line over the spool. Otherwise, it's going to jam and you're going to lose the fish. And the last four trips that we've had, we've had three cases of that and the one guy with the, that knocked the reel into free spool. Excuse me. It was 
two cases of not spreading the spool and dropping a lever drag reel into free spool. That's mm-hmm. happened two and two. So this past week, I've invested in some different gear to do my very level best for that not to happen. And uh, I replaced some older rods that really were pretty ratty and getting getting along in years. And then um, we bought, I bought some Daiwa Saltis 50s that have level wines on them. Very good grasshopper. Okay. Now here's, you want to know who who gave me the idea for that? And I hadn't thought of it in years. It was Mark Croca. Mark had that problem at one point with his tarpon anglers. And I remember it very well like it happened yesterday. And so I thought to myself, you know what? That's what these guys need. The problem was is finding just the right gear. Right. Because level lines are... You know, they're salmon reels. They're freshwater reels. They're not, they're not built for this type of an environment. But I found one that 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 definitely, most definitely is. I think I think a lot of captains, I think they struggle with um, the whole gear thing. Like, it's been. I mean, it's apparent when you look at my stuff. I don't go and get the the best stuff, the mm-hmm. finest stuff. You shouldn't. I have charter gear. Yes. And there's a reason I have charter gear. Yes. And I think a lot of captains struggle with that. They want the finer gear. Oh. And they think the... You think? The, I do. I think they think the fine. They can't bring themselves not to buy the better stuff. I'm 50-50 on that. I'm telling you. Yeah. Timmy's that way. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm 50-50 on it. Um, My buddy Leo's that way. I have stepped on... I've stepped on and or looked at several charter boats where, you know, I'm not going to tell you that they're the best, that it, that they put the best gear on the boat. They put the most serviceable gear on the boat, and that's what you have. Um, I think that's where I'm sort of at. Uh, and by serviceable, I mean stuff that's not going to cost you and I an arm and a leg, uh, but it's going to take a pounding. I mean, I just went to, I mean, I don't like to pimp too much, but I went to a, a, a tackle shop, uh, two two different tackle shops in Fort Lauderdale. One tackle shop had rods that were $400 a piece, and, you know, okay, they were great rods, and I wanted them real bad. Right. Okay, because at the end of the day, I'm a tackle hoe, and I just wanted those rods in the worst way. And then I went to another tackle shop, and I found... Four of uh, very similar rods for $169 each. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't the price point that sold me on the rods. It was the fact that they would do the exact same thing as the $400 rod. Right. And when the guy from Kentucky gets on the boat and he high sticks the piss out of that rod and whacks the T-top with it, I'm not going to get as upset. Right. Okay. So, you know, that's that's what I ended up buying. Okay? But then there's some tackle uh, there's there's some um charter boats. The reel hasn't been the reel hasn't been oiled in 6 months. The line hasn't been changed out in a year. Uh, you know, maybe the roller guides work uh, and you know, you're like, dude, why are you even in business? What? Those are the hacks. 
Well, there's a lot of them out there. 80-20 rule. 80% of the people are going to totally suck. 20% of the people are going to excel. Charter business, yeah. sales, bartenders, it doesn't matter. It's the 80-20 rule. 80% of these guys are morons and their business sucks. 20% of them are great. Yeah. And you're you're 100% right about that. And it, it even follows the... Uh, the 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 ninety ten rule, which is ninety percent of the fishermen suck and ten percent of the fishermen catch ninety percent of the fish. Same shit. Yeah, no, I agree. I hundred percent agree. We're kind of like talking shop here. We never do that. No, but the one thing about the ten percent that say that the highest, the upper echelon, upper echelon. Yeah, those people should let those people should not pay attention to. And this is this is personal friggin' opinion bullshit that I'm going to throw on everybody. But those people should not pay attention to the government regulations and be self-regulated. Because it's a lot different for somebody like myself mm -hmm. to kill their limit of snook every trip or every yeah. time yeah. as opposed to somebody that doesn't know how to catch them. You know well, what I mean? Me... Because, you know, like you said, 10% of the people. Well, that 10% of the people shouldn't have the same limits as the people that can't catch them. <laughs> But no one's ever going to make a law that way, no. so they have to friggin' do it themselves. Well, listen, you know, here's here's the one thing that's it's getting tougher and tougher uh, for uh, charter fishermen in particular, and that is is that the government is kind of sort of stepping in and saying, okay, whereas it used to be ten fish, now it's five fish, like in the case of dolphin. Right. Okay, my my. Um, used to be there used to not be uh, a limit on blackfin tunas. Now there's now it's an aggregate of ten per boat. Uh, so I mean it's it's kind of like. All right, let me ask you a question. They're setting it up for you anyway. Let me ask you a question. What is the government good at? Spending money poorly. The, okay, very good. That's like the only thing they're good at. Yeah. So why would anybody think that the regulations that the government is placing upon you are any good? You know, listen, there is a, is the correct terminology dichotomy? Is is that it? If you hey, were don't, to... Don't, if don't, you were, get, don't get that big vocabulary going and shit. If what you the hell were, are you talking about? If you were to... Uh, <laughs> If you were to poll poll ninety percent of Americans in this country, because ten percent of them are scrapes, if you were to if you were to poll ninety percent of Americans in this country, and you were to ask them one basic simple question, do you trust government? I would be willing to bet you that eighty percent of them say no. Right. All right. So why all of a sudden are we placing so much faith and trust in our government to lead us through things, whether it's fishing regulations or COVID-19 or Any, wars overseas or, anything, or in anything in between? Why do we place that much faith in a system that we don't trust? It's the dumbest thing. Well, I can't speak for the whole system, but I will speak for the fishing regulations yeah. because I am an expert on fishing. The regulations that the government gives us are as pathetic as the government itself. So anybody that, you know, gets all serious and, yeah. you know, lives by these, it just doesn't make any sense to me that anybody would actually 
worry about what the government says. It's kind of like the environmental stuff. You know, the, you got all these different environmental bureaucracies out there. They're going to save the water and save the land and all this stuff. In the meantime, pollution gets worse every single year, and it's all a bunch of crap. None of it works. And those people are telling you how many fish you can kill and can't kill. The whole thing's a clusterfuck. I was, I was listening to Andy Mill talking to Al Fluger Jr. And he asked... On the Millhouse podcast? On the Millhouse podcast. And Andy asked a very pointed question of Al Fluger Jr. He says, do you think that the fishing will ever be as good as it once was? And he, he had the best answer. He says, I don't think it will ever, I don't think it could possibly, it may, no, he said, it may not get any worse than it is now, which is about the most optimistic way to possibly say it. Because what they were really talking about was how the environment has just gone to hell in a handbasket. You know, he, they, they, we're talking about a guy that was <clears throat> at the top of his game in the 60s and 70s. And he was talking about how they were fishing uh, in the Keys. And there were there were acres and acres and acres of showering ballyhoos on the reefs back then. Acres. I've never seen that in my lifetime. And I go back to the late 70s. Right. Well, you know, I don't know. Guys like Al Fluger or anything that anybody that thinks that it can't get any worse, I would have loved to have taken them to the sewage spills that happened here a couple oh. of years ago, sat them on the seawall. Because stuff like that is unfathomable. It's unimaginable. Poor guys like Fluger or anybody else would never think that that's happening and it's happening all over the fucking state of Florida. You know, there's a strange, there's something strange going on. And I, I, I meant to sort of preface this before we started talking, but I'll just go ahead and bring it up now. There's some stuff that just don't make any, that just doesn't make any sense that I'm seeing. Uh, and maybe it's just because I'm spending that much more time uh, on the water than I have been lately, but I've been noticing some strange stuff. Uh, if you follow all of the, if you follow all the, the conservationists, they'll tell you, oh, well, you know, our, our habitat is continuing to diminish and the seagrasses are, you know, diminishing by the day. And for the most part, they're right. But then something happens and it just makes you scratch your head and go, how is this possible? And what made me think about it was something that Mark Crocus said. Uh, he told me about now back in the late 60s and 70s how they used to as kids they used to fish from the banks and they'd catch redfish in Fort Lauderdale from the banks they'd catch black drum they'd catch all the big jacks you wanted snook tarpon everything that you can possibly imagine and I remember when we had Gary Krebs Gary told tales of Biscayne Bay, you know, North Biscayne Bay being loaded with gag groupers and spots and, and permits and stuff right. that you just don't catch. Okay. Um, and then I started thinking, you know, the last couple of years we've been seeing some weird things. For example, you catching those redfish with the worm. Right. Uh, and this past year, uh, 
or this year, I should say, we've had one of the most phenomenal shrimp runs I've seen in a long, long time. A lot of shrimp this year. Last year, I mean, last night, excuse me, last night, I got off the boat in Miami, and there were shrimps just pouring through the marina, pouring right. through. And this is April. I know. Not even a, not even a cold front. And they're just pouring through. And the poons are up in there, and they're, you know, they're slurping them down. And it's just like, you know, if the if the seagrasses are that bad, because everybody thinks that there's a correlation between the seagrasses and the shrimp population. Uh, at least a lot of the guys in the Keys do. And I always thought that that was the case. And now I'm seeing one of the best shrimp runs we've seen in years. And it's not like the bay is coming back. Right. So, you know, what gives? Is it is it is it maybe a cyclical thing that maybe a bigger picture thing that we're not considering? Or, you know, I, I it's sort of above my pay grade to come up with the solutions on that. And, and just don't feel bad because it's above everybody's pay grade. Nobody knows. Nobody actually really knows. All these oceanographer people, these marine biologists, all the experts in the field, they all got theories. And they all have these different things and stuff, but nobody really knows. Okay? There's schools of mullet swimming through the Bahamas nowadays. That... I've never, I've, not, not that I've never seen a mullet in the I've Caribbean, but I've never seen schools of mullet anywhere in the, Bahamas? in the Bahamas. And I'm getting reports that there's schools of mullet over there. I'm getting reports of schools of tarpon by the thousands in places that they've never seen them before hmm. and so on and so forth. So who the hell really knows? My theory, especially with the tarpon, is they do whatever they want. I think they rolled into South Florida one too many times and was like, you know, the boat traffic sucks. There's not enough to eat here. And my cousin went to this place over here in the Caribbean last year, and it was great. So mm -hmm. I think they're all going over there now. And that's how I think they feel. But never has a marine biologist or some freaking expert ever come up with a theory like that. And has a marine biologist ever asked you, hey, uh, how many, you know, did, did what's your take on this? What are you seeing? See, this I got my first taste of this like back in oh two thousand and six or seven when I was running offshore crew boats in the Gulf of Mexico. And there was a there was one of Noah's boats that was sitting in Port Fouchon. I got close enough to the boat one time, we were moored almost next to him, and there was one of the one of the crew member and I asked them. I said, "What do you guys do?" Oh, well, we monitor uh, Gulf red redfish stocks. And I said, "How can you possibly do that when you haven't been off the dock in two months?" Right. Right. I mean, and and they're making and they're making public policy based on what that boat reports. And then some some marine biologist on that boat will say. You know, if there I, even is one. Well, I'm just saying, some marine biologist on that boat will brag about his time. They spent two years on this vessel researching yeah, redfish yeah, yeah. as they sat at the dock, like yeah. you said, every day. But that's kind of like government. You know, I'm, I'm just, sure it's. I'm sure that you know, they're not footing the bill. And the and the <laughs> truth of the matter is, is uh, red snapper stocks. The, first of all, red snappers are way overregulated. Way overregulated. And there's probably that I liken the redfish stocks to shark stocks, whereas 
uh, red uh, red snappers were once endangered because they were at one point overfished. Same way with sharks. Sharks were endangered. Now there's so many of them that you can't get away from them. And red snappers are the same way. Red snappers are like you know, it's nothing to catch a red snapper if you know where to look for them. So there's tons of red snappers. There's tons and tons and tons of red snappers. They don't. They're overregulated. Sharks are overregulated. Sharks are overregulated. Oh, way overregulated. You can't. I mean, there's there's some species you can't even molest. You can't even hook one. You could get in trouble. You could get fined for it. Yeah, that's like falls into that woke category, you know. Well, it, it, you know what? In there's a, a lot of ways, of, there's a whole bunch of people that are out there that are yeah. like shark advocates and mm-hmm. like sharks the best thing. They actually like <laughs> these fools think sharks are nice, dude. Last December, even in the cartoons, the sharks aren't nice. Everybody no. knows sharks aren't nice. Last last <laughs> last December, uh, I did a I did a day of yellowtailing. Uh, with a friend of mine in uh, Tavernier. And while we were hopping from spot to spot, we would mark clouds of yellowtails. Hit a very good depth finder. Uh, and we would mark clouds of yellowtails. But then we'd mark two, two or three big hook echoes underneath them. And those were bull sharks. Just swimming around in just, circles just, underneath. Yeah. There are so many bull sharks. And you hook a yellowtail... And if you don't know how to fight one right away, done. Okay, it's it's done, and that spot is done, and those yellowtails are done, and you got to pick up and move. All right, what do you uh, what do you know, or what have you heard about for shark repellent? Bang stick always works really well. <laughs> That's that that was originally that was my thinking. Shotgun, bang stick, something like that. Depends on where you are at the time where you have to repel the shark. Are you in the water? Are you dumb enough to go cage diving or free diving with sharks? Because those are people that are going to get munched. They have every reason. No, I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking shark repellent for the repel the sharks that are on your hook. Oh, so there's two. There's two. Well, there's have you hooked them, or are you worried about hooking them? All right, you're particip- You're you're anticipating. That you're gonna hook a, all right. Let's do a tarpon for instance. Uh-huh. All right. So we're tarpon fishing, mm-hmm. and we just caught two, and we're in government cut. Okay. And the bite's good. Mm-hmm. And you know damn well if you catch another one or another one, sooner yeah. or later a shark's gonna show up. Yeah. Free spool the tarpon and let them run. So there's 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 two theories. One yeah. is a magnet. Supposedly a magnet will repel sharks. Okay, on Shark Week, I think they had it, where they you know they jumped up to sharks and they're swimming all around in circles, and the guy takes out a magnet, and all the sharks freak out and leave. <laughs> then there's another thing where they took shark concentrate. What what do they do? They Which squeeze they, a shark, like shark shark like oil, kind of like cod oil or, or yeah. mackerel oil or whatever. So or manhaden oil so but shark oil okay so my theory is i want to try to get a magnet that i can put on the line and slide it down while we're fighting the tarpon and see if that makes a difference or and take little pieces of bull shark or whatever's legal to kill and cut them up and then as you're fighting the fish as you're fighting the fish you're chumming the the shark (laughs) 
in order to get the scent in the water. And I just want to like try that and see if that would actually work. Um, the closest thing to anything like that I have ever seen, and believe it or not, it worked, uh, is when I was a kid, we were over in Chubb, and we were fishing a tournament. This is in 1980. And uh, we had a big blue marlin on. We ended up catching the fish, actually. It was like 400 pounds or something like that, 404. And while we were fighting the fish, um, some sharks started showing up. And we could see them down there uh, just kind of waiting to... Lingering. Yeah, lingering. And uh, they took... uh, It was Captain Allen Star. He took two baits. I don't remember what they were. They might have been mackerels or whatever. It doesn't matter. And he tied a bait on one side of the string. And then he took a bait and he tied it to the other side of the string. So basically he had two baits tied together tail to tail. um, Probably about four feet apart. And he took this concoction and he just threw it overboard. And I watched one shark come up and grab one and then that caused the other dead bait to flutter and then another shark came up and grabbed the other one and they started fighting with each other and so what they were basically doing was he had caused them to he created a, a, a diversion he distracted them he distracted them from, from from the marlin oh, yeah. and it worked <coughs> hey that's pretty that's pretty nifty yeah that's a nifty move yeah and it worked it worked i don't know but I'm thinking, but uh, uh, I like the magnet idea. <laughs> that I would really like to see. Well, the magnet in practice. I, well, the, going back to the magnet <laughs> idea is, it'd be way easier for you yellowtail fishermen or snapper fishermen to try that than it would be for me, the tarpon fisherman, because you guys are using weights and shit to get your thing down anyway. No, you're not. So, you're free spooling everything. The, the fucking mutton guys <laughs> with their fifty foot leaders and their freaking weights and all the different stuff that they're dropping you could to use the bottom. It, you could fashion or, a, a magnet as a weight, or you could use a separate line and just drop the magnet down where your other lines are and see <laughs> if that makes a difference. But the it's shark, interesting. It, we got to figure out something. There's something. And then, the fishing magnet. We could revolution, revolutionize and then, it. And, and there's people that make shark oil extract. And market it as a fish repellent. Yeah. So maybe you just hang that off the side of your boat while you're tarping fishing all night and then keep the sharks away. But Jesus Christ, we got to start trying something. I fished all over. I think you should just start killing sharks again. I fished all over inlet the other night and got sharked by a fish on the inside, on the sandbar, where everybody usually hangs out. Did you see the video of the hammerhead on that sandbar? Dude, there's always hammerheads around there and stuff, which is my point. So anyway, so so we got we got sharked late at night after catching a few tarpon, and then during the day, you had one eat a tarpon. Yes. Wow. It happens fucking way too often. It it, it kills me every time it happens. It happens mm. all the time. But off the beach at Hallover, we're watching the big bull sharks swim by. Yeah. And the spinner sharks and black tips all over the place. I had like 30 mullets the other day. I lost like 15 to sharks. Jesus. While I'm tarpon fishing. I mean... Now, granted, these were smaller sharks that were chasing around the mullets. They wouldn't have eaten a tarpon. Yeah. But still, the number of sharks is ridiculous. It's, it's and I've never crazy. seen it like that it's before. Get, it's getting crazy. I mean, there's... There were... Uh, I, I, I know a guy who's fishing in Palm Beach and they hooked 
Let me think about this. He told me that they hooked 15 sailfish in one day and had seven of them get chased by sharks. See, and that's, that's different. I mean, every once in a while, you'd see one of those sh- sharks eat a sailfish. Every once in a while. But not all yeah. the time. No, not I mean, five out of but ten having fish seven, having having seven fish get chased by sharks. I mean, come on, right? And <laughs> that tells me, and that tells me something. If the sharks are that aggressive, not that they haven't been for zillions of years, but if they're so increasingly aggressive now, it tells me that there's too many of them out there. You know what it tells me? That machoism is dead. Oh, absolutely. Like completely. I think we ought to have shark. You know, Bruce Burnett was. Where's, think, where's the old shark the shark fisherman absolutely. attitude like Quint or some guy from Montauk or whatever yeah. that would take it personal that the sharks were eating all his fish and absolutely. he was going to go out and kill them? Yeah. We don't hear nothing like that anymore. Well, you know, let me tell you something. Years ago. <laughs> yeah. That's real old man in the sea shit. Years ago. The uh, the the most charter fishermen in South Florida uh, incorporated shark fishing as a standard operating procedure because they knew they could kill that shark, drag it back to the dock, hang it up, get the pictures, and get a mount. There's one guy now left. you can't do that. There's one guy left. Mark the shark. Right down there next to you in Miami is still doing it. Let me tell you something. And he's the busiest charter boat in Miami. Let me tell you something about Mark the Shark. I did not, for many, many years, appreciate what he did. Okay? I really didn't. People I didn't, hate him. It, well, some of that stuff he brought on himself. And oh, I'm, yeah. not gonna, yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to disparage the guy. Okay? But I'm going to tell you something. Okay? He did some things that it's just like you said. Where's that old school uh, machismo? Okay, and you go down there to Venetian Marina, and it's right there. All you got to do is just roll up on the boat and look at it <laughs> with the chair okay? hanging off the back. With the chair hanging off the back, with the giant flying gaffs hanging in the tower. Uh, I mean, it, the giant live wells, and I mean, this guy, he's, he's, he's like, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. He, it's like, he's, he's like the captain that time forgot. Right. He's, he's like Dania Beach. Okay. Yeah. He's just totally <laughs> the captain that time forgot. And he's, people book him because he's a character and they want to go out fishing with that guy. Okay, they want that guy. They want that guy yelling at him. Okay, you Googans, wind. Okay, and he does that, and he just puts on the whole show. But it's more than just that. Not only has he got this whole persona, but that's really not who he is as a person. Dude, he's he's like a WWF wrestler, right? Playing the hundred percent, right? Playing a, the role, a hundred percent. And I mean, you talk to the guy, you know, and I've talked to him plenty of times because you know I see him uh, quite a bit down there. I've never there. met him. Uh, yeah, and he's just kind of he's like you know he's just a calm, cool you know dude. You know, he's just you know whatever. Yeah. He's, he's not. So he's, I know somebody that knows him pretty well. Yeah, the compliments that they gave Mark the Shark 
yeah. on how he raises his kids. Oh, his kids are unbelievable. Was, was somewhat was somewhat eye opening. Yeah. Because nobody that's portrayed to be that big of an asshole could ever raise a child. Well, could or much less have one. No, they could do. They could have them. Shit, anybody can have one. But do a great job at parenting means a lot. Yeah. And, no, his kids are cool as hell. And that's what I get. And and once I heard that, then I pr- appreciated him more. Yeah. And no one understands the role that the WWF. Yeah. And that's really what it is. And you know, and and here's the thing: if you're gonna if you're gonna fish with Mark the Shark, you have to. You have to kind of tune your brain a little bit differently than, you know, you're not going to go out there and catch 10 sailfish with Mark the Shark. You'll be lucky if you get out of government cut, okay, for more than a half hour, okay? Uh, and, and you know, yeah, he's going to, that's what he does. He catches sharks. Uh, you know, they fish, they fish some offshore. Uh, you know, but you're not going to go out there and load the boat with blackfin tunas, cobias, and dolphin with Mark the Shark. That's just not what he does. And Mark the Shark should have been in Jaws. That's he, the only way Jaws could have ever got better South, as a movie is to have Mark the Shark in he, the movie itself. He is he is South Florida's version of Quint. Okay, no doubt about it in my mind. And the funny thing is is. Uh, he wastes fish that you would think you shouldn't waste, but in reality, very little of it goes to waste. For example, uh, he'll kill a lot of very big sharks, and while that's in- very frowned upon these days, uh, especially by the uh, you know by the shark huggers and all those those by the types. shark lovers, lovers. Don't huggers. you know sharks are nice? They're yeah. almost like kittens. Sharks are friends. Yes, yeah, right. they. All you have to do is be nice to them. Yeah. So kind uh, of like terrorists. Yeah. yeah if you're yeah. nice enough to them, they'll just stop all the way. They, all the shit well, they you, do. You give them nicknames. <laughs> so uh, he'll kill a lot of big sharks in, in in a year, and he's got some sort of special permit for education. Okay, uh, quote unquote. But what he also does is he he also takes a lot of smaller sharks and uh, they take the meat to the Camilla's house and they feed the homeless. A lot of people don't know that about, uh, I, about I, him. I, I learned a little bit about him because he was on Tom's own podcast. Do you ever see, yeah. you ever see uh, Mark the Shark down there at the marina? Sure. Why don't you ask him to come on the podcast? I'd love to. I would, what I'd really like to do is I'd like to take the equipment. I and, think he lives up here. I think he does too, but I'd like to take the equipment and go down and get on the. Oh, what's the name of his boat? Strike One, Striker One, or something. Like that. <laughs> do the podcast there, yeah. kind of like we do with Skipper, except with yeah, Mark yeah, the Shark. Yeah. yeah, I'll ask him. Sure. Yeah, yeah. See if he'd like to do it, because um, because Gary, the Bay guy, yeah, he, he was great last week. Yeah, or the week before, whenever yeah. we had him. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'd love to get Mark the Shark on here. It, it's you know, it, it's. Glorifying that guy is gonna get you. Uh, is gonna raise a lot of eyebrows, but I think it's a good idea. I wouldn't. I'm not glorifying the guy. No, well, you know, it's, I'm just not. There's gonna, a lot of people just that not gonna really. There's a lot of people that really don't like him, and to be honest with you, I was one of them for a long time, uh, and then I sort of moderated my my thinking on him because I see what he's doing and the way he's doing it. And more importantly, you know, what he's doing f- with his kids. I think that's that's how you raise kids. 
What's, what, what did you hear about? What did you hear? How, it's uh, just what I see. Okay. Okay? I mean, he's... From what I understand, he takes his cell phone out of their hands, throws them on the boat, and is like, go have a nice day. Oh, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. For the I most mean, part. He'll, he'll do stuff like that. Uh, he, he's, uh, you know, he's just teaching them boats. He's teaching them the water. He's teaching them fish. He's teaching them fishing. It's what I call hashtag proper parenting. And I'll often reply on social media when I see somebody like, you know, a Sean Murphy uh, catching snooks with his son. And I'll just simply write hashtag proper parenting. Because it's too easy for parents these days, especially very busy parents, the way Mark is. And I, as I understand, I think he's a single father. I don't know. Maybe he's married. I'm not sure. I don't know. But at any rate, um, with with very busy uh, parents, whether they're married or not, it's it's all too easy for them to just say, yeah, go to the mall. Or... Right. You know, go play video games or whatever it is. Right. Okay. And, uh, but it's the parents that foster that, hey, you could be fishing today. Right. Uh, you know, go fishing or I'm going to take you fishing. I'm going to make the time um, to introduce this to you in your life and it's going to be a part of your life. All right. Let's, t- let's, let's talk about wrestling as we wrap this thing up. Wrestling. Yeah. Who do you think? In the wrestling world, was the Mark the Shark of wrestling? Oh wow, what a great question! Who do I think was the Mark the Shark? Well, I, you know, I mean, you I'd can, have to you say can have multiple I'd, answers. I'd have to say it was just about all of them. I think they're all fakes. Um, well, what they do is real, but it's all a game. It's all a, uh, you know, it's all a, it's all an act. I mean, definitely Hulk Hogan. Uh, no, is is no. one of them? Hogan is Hogan is a great character, but there's no way in the world he was the Mark the Shark. In in what way? Um, like like you mean like meaning, a guy who's not who's the bad guy? Oh, who's the bad guy? The Russian Nikolai Volkov. He he played. He was the one of the first ones. He was a great bad yeah, guy. Yeah, he was and, one of the first ones. And you loved Super uh, Super. Snooker Jimmy Jim Superfly Snooker? Yeah. yeah. He was a good guy. Was he? Yeah, I don't he was a good him guy. A good he was guy. like, yeah, no, he was, he was a good guy. I really don't pay attention to it okay, that much. Let me, so let me give you the rundown. You're run- asking the wrong guy. All right, let me give you the rundown on wrestling. All right, so you had Nikolai Volkov. Right? I remember him. People loved to hate him. Okay. Now, he was in my era because he was WrestleMania, uh-huh. you know, one, you yeah, know, yeah, so that's yeah. who I grew up with. But he wasn't the first. There was dudes way before him. Like Andre the Giant. But he was t- he was a good guy. Andre the Giant used to be a bad guy, and then he was a good they guy. They go back and forth. Right. They do go back and forth. Hogan's been a bad guy, too. Right. Yeah. Right. But... Dusty Rhodes. The Macho Man was phenomenal. And half the Ooh, people loved him, yeah. and half the people hated him. Yeah, but I I don't think he was always a bad guy. He wasn't always a bad no. guy, but he was so arrogant Ooh, yeah. and such an asshole. And Elizabeth. would flaunt that, right? And the way he would handle Elizabeth and all that. He was phenomenal. Yeah. So I'm going to say Nikolai. Then I'm going to say Randy. I don't keep up with the, the new wrestlers. I wish I did. But there's always going to be somebody that plays that role that we love to hate. Oh, yeah. And I think Mark the Shark, I think Mark the Shark embraces is in that. that. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and understands it yeah. and capitalizes on it. Oh, it's no doubt. There's absolutely no doubt. The shit you will learn about sport fishing on the Real Guy Podcast, only here. 
Right here. Only here <laughs> where you get to know that singing Nikolai Volkov and, <laughs> and Mark, and the, Mark Shark the Shark are like the, one and the same. Right. Peas in a pot. <laughs> Norm, thanks for coming in. Always a pleasure to have you in the Real Guy Podcast. Man, it was a lot of fun. Let's do it again. Of course. Run that dog. Run that dog. <laughs> <laughs>